Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be interviewing near-death experience survivor Nancy Rines. And the two of them will be discussing about her latest story, along with her book, Awakenings from the Light, which are messages she was given while on the other side. And she's brought those back to share with us. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. Good morning and welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. We're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, <clears throat> excuse me, you can always access those show archives at 1150kknw.com. Um, and I also invite you to check out our Facebook page for the show, Sunny in Seattle Radio. And if you follow that page, you will see um, our upcoming guests on any given week. Um, and don't forget about my book um, that is now available. Um, and you can get a copy for free if you will visit unhitchedbook.com. Um, of course, the book name is Unhitched. Um, and so, yes, the website to go to is unhitchedbook.com to grab your free copy. And it's really for anyone who is uh, struggling in their relationship, feeling stuck, unhappy, unfulfilled. Um, and uh, mainly for, I've written mainly uh, to women in marriage, but it applies to anyone. I've got some male clients too. Um, so it'll help you um, answer some of the tough questions uh, around whether to stay or go. And then, should you decide that it's in the highest and best interest for everyone to part ways, um, there are some, there's a couple of chapters on how to do that gracefully and come out the other side. Um, and I share a lot of my own experience that I had with my ex-husband um, in really going from a high-conflict marriage to um, a beautiful post-divorce friendship before his death this year. Um, and I feel so blessed for that. And so I want to share that with as many people as possible. So grab your copy at unhitchedbook.com. Um, so we're going to jump right into our show today because we have a guest and I cannot wait to um, share her story with you all. You know, I'm a bit obsessed with near-death experiences. I've interviewed a lot of people who have had them on the show and I love comparing their experiences and seeing the commonalities and the themes and then finding out what was unique about um, each specific person's NDE. Um, so my guest today is Nancy Rines. Um, as a scientist and a corporate trainer for over two decades, Nancy aligned herself with the skepticism prevalent in so much of the scientific community. Uh, she remained an atheist until a life-changing bicycle accident and near-death experience uh, occurred. And now Nancy is an avid spiritual seeker, as well as a practitioner of compassion, kindness, contemplative prayer, and being the change we wish to see. Drawing on the transformational wisdom learned during her NDE, which she will be sharing with us today, she integrates the teachings of love, compassion, kindness, gratitude, and joy that form the foundation for a contented, meaningful life. Now, Nancy is a leading voice for personalizing the wisdom of near-death experiences, developing our heart-centered intuition, and living a life of inspired creativity. Known for her fun, lighthearted, girl-next-door demeanor, Nancy teaches others how to live a more purposeful, joyful, and heaven-inspired life. 
The book, uh, if you want to check out her story, uh, is Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Uh, Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on today, Sonny. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, I have, I'm have. i actually going to start with kind of a silly question because um, sure. uh, how do you know Ken Elliott? <laughs> 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 so for those out there listening, if you listen to KKNW, you may know who he is too because he had a book, um, he has a book, Manifesting 123. Um, and I heard him and I actually, um, I called in and I this was before I was a host on the station when I could still call into the contests. <laughs> and I won that book and I thought it was a delightful little book. And so I saw that he's a friend of yours in here. And I thought, how do you know Ken Elliott? <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing you asked that because he was really the first person uh, outside of my chaplain that I spoke to about my NDE what? after my experience. <laughs> yeah. And, and it, I didn't know him before that. I had I had shared briefly with a few of my friends on Facebook, of all things, that I had had something funky happen uh-huh. while I was – we'll talk about it later – but while I was in surgery. And one of those friends who – I Facebook friends who I had not met put me in touch with Ken, and he's like, you need to talk to Ken. I think he, he can help you. Huh. Um, and Ken was the first per- – I, I think we were on the phone for like two or three hours. I hadn't met the guy in my life. And he just helped me articulate what it was that happened and helped me find the people that could, at that point, we'll talk about that too, but at that point I was a little bit scattered with what happened and and I, I my life was in an uproar because of what I had experienced. So he helped me get on a good path. So I, I'm so grateful to him and Hopefully he he's listening today. So thanks, Ken. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yes. And and thank you, Ken, for that amazing book, Manifesting One, Two, Three. It was pretty cute. Um, I enjoyed it. it. I was so happy to win it. <laughs> it's a good book. <laughs> it is. Um, so um, since we've alluded to it several times and I mentioned it, like, like let's go ahead and just dive into your story. Um, so basically, uh, you were a skeptic and an atheist, and then something life-changing happened. So why don't you walk us through the, you know, the accident and what proceeded from there? Yeah, so I, I was at that time I was living near Boulder, Colorado, and, and it was uh, January 3rd of 2014. I went out for a bike ride. And the, the weather was beautiful. It was like 65 or 70 degrees, sunny, dry. It was just like a spring, beautiful spring day. Uh, so I went out for a bike ride in town just to run some errands. And I was in the bike lane just about a half a mile from my house and went into a brand new traffic circle or roundabout, as we called them there. Mm-hmm. And the bike the bike lane kind of petered out. And I noticed that there were there was a car behind me who was he was respectably back, but he was there was a definitely a car behind me. Mm-hmm. And I saw a couple of vehicles. One was a, a big SUV, a Chevy Tahoe, and then behind that was a Toyota truck that were coming in from a road to the right, to my right, mm-hmm. and we're going to enter the traffic circle. And it looked like those cars coming in from my right were going to stop at the as they should, entering the traffic circle. Um, but at the very last moment, I noticed that the lead uh, SUV, that Tahoe, uh, was actually kind of accelerating <laughs> into the into the intersection and hit me. Uh, on my, I was on my bike and hit me broadside, so on my right side. And I ended up, and I don't know how this happened. I'm sure somebody who's at the scene could have told you, but 
somehow I ended up flipped up on the on the hood of her vehicle as she was driving. And so she hit me. I landed on her hood and saw that she was texting as she was driving. She had her phone up on on the top of the steering wheel uh, and she didn't stop. So she didn't see me. So she was so engrossed in what was going on with her phone that she didn't see me staring at her on the hood of her vehicle. Oh <laughs> it's just bananas when I read that. I was like, how is this possible? I don't know. And she <laughs> and she kept driving. Uh, I'm going to condense this down a little bit, but she, um, for quite a while, did not know that I was there. In fact, it was uh, witnesses or, or, you know, witnesses to the accident who stopped her. Uh, but anyway, I, she kept driving around the traffic circle, and I ended up slipping off. I couldn't find anything to grab onto on her hood mm-hmm. and slipped off, hit the pavement with my left shoulder and my left hip. Mm-hmm. I broke my collarbone. Could hear I could hear that crack right away. And she drove over the top of me. Now, I was in between her wheels. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Uh, otherwise, I would have been – I probably wouldn't be here talking to you. Uh, but I was in between her wheels, and I my uh, I was wearing a backpack, little like a bicycling backpack, and my the chest strap for that backpack got caught on the underside of her car, mm. uh, somehow on on the I think the transfer case under her car, so she was dragging me as she was driving, still not realizing still, anyone's there, <laughs> still not realizing that she had hit me, and of course during this time I'm, you know when the when she first hit me. All I could think about was survival, but at the same time, I, I felt like, okay, this is it. I'm going to die. You know, yeah. I could just see that that was what was going to happen. Um, and as the as the accident progressed, and it felt like it lasted forever, <laughs> it wasn't, you know, just a few seconds in my yeah. mind. It felt like it was dragged on and on. But, of course, I was terrified. You know, it was I didn't know even what to do. It was all instinct and fear, terror for my, for my part. Yeah. But as soon as my, as soon as I had hit the pavement, what I noted that I wasn't able to explain at that time was I noted that I was witnessing the accident both from inside my body and then also from a vantage point of outside my body. Yeah. So it was as if my consciousness had split apart and a part of me which I now call my higher self, my higher self or my soul being whatever, mm-hmm. um, was standing outside of the accident about, you know, 50 to 75 feet away watching everything happen. Yeah. And that me, that part of my consciousness was very calm, very centered. And that's the only word I can come up with, very centered, um, very relaxed, a little bit sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But also, I remember think that part of me thinking, everything is going to be okay. This is the way it's supposed to happen. Mm. And that the part of me that was under the vehicle was it terrified and yeah. was thinking, no, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I'm going to die. You know, there was so there was a, a kind of a dichotomy in the way the way that I was approaching the accident from those different vantage points. Yeah. Um, so eventually the bystanders were able to stop her. Thank gosh. Um, they were, one of them drove in front of her around the traffic circle and kind of headed her off the other direction. Um, and long story short, I ended up, they took me to the hospital, which was 
pretty close by. And it turned out I had, you know, many, many, many broken bones. I think the the final tally seems to be about 24 bones that were broken oh and in multiple places. So the estimate was well over 100 different bone breaks. Mm. And most of that damage was actually to my spine. So I had, you know, most of the vertebrae in my back were broken at some level. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of them my lower back was one of them and my lower back was shattered. And that was, you know, if I had gotten up at the scene, which I tried to do, if I had been successful in actually getting up, I would have been paralyzed immediately. There was, there's nothing left of L1 really. It was a little bit left. Yeah. So that's the accident itself. I tried, you know, after I got into the ER, um, I thought, well, it felt like everything was going okay, but I was really concerned. My biggest fear, and it was a big fear, was that I wouldn't ever walk again. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the physicians there, and what, interestingly enough, one of the physicians that worked on me in the ER witnessed the accident itself. Really? <laughs> he, was, he was in the car behind me, and he was heading to the hospital. So he was the guy in the car behind me um, and watched the whole thing. And he, you know, he told me many times, he said, you know, people just don't survive those kinds of accidents. Yeah. He said, it's a miracle that, that you're even, you know, have feeling in your feet, let alone, or, you know, you're talking to us. Um, yeah. And do you think Nancy, because you mentioned in the book that, that, uh, well, you just mentioned now, if you had gotten up, you were trying to, you were still conscious, even with all of these breaks, even with this huge trauma, and you were, you know, and our our animal self wants to flee or fight, right. fight, flight, or freeze. And you, there was a bystander who came up, and you said you couldn't remember if her name was Anne or Annie, but she basically stayed with you until and told you to stay down and then got you into the ambulance, and then no one ever heard from her again. No one could find her. Do you feel like she might have been a guide of some sort that was specifically sent to keep you so you would be able to walk? Or, I mean, when you look back on that now, what do you think about Anne? You know, that's what, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, I I can't prove that obviously, but the the funny thing is that the funny thing is from the, you know, from the scientific perspective, um, you know, the district attorney's office tried to find her for six months <laughs> and yeah, and they couldn't, I mean, they, only one other person saw her at the scene, which was interesting of it in and of itself. Right. There should have been many paramedics who interacted with her because she said she was a trauma nurse and, um, and that she worked in a hospital nearby and that, and that, you know, I, I I know she told me her what she thought was her last or what I thought was her last name, but I don't remember that. But I know her name was Anne or Annie. Yeah. But the Boulder County District Attorney's Office tried to find her. And they looked I think they checked almost every hospital in the Denver Boulder area, couldn't find her at all. Um, That's crazy. So I think I, I think so. Um, she just really d- just vanished. I mean, we don't know who this person was. There was no vehicle attributed to her at the scene. We don't know what car she was in. Mm-hmm. Um, I have photos of the scene and I, I can account for all the cars. Yeah. But I don't know where she came from. And and it wouldn't have been a walk up because there was no 
in the area of this roundabout, there wasn't there weren't any other buildings or anything. So it's not like she ran up from uh, an office building or something. Yeah. Oh, that's one of those um, mysteries that just yeah, I love that kind of stuff. So so you you already have this experience um, and you've had the the injury and all of the trauma and now you're in the hospital and this is where things really get interesting. Right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So so the accident happened on a Friday. Um, and and they did, they decided that I needed surgery to repair my spine because otherwise I'd have been flat on my back in a hospital for at least six months before everything could heal up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I I opted for the surgery. Um, to me, that was really the only option. Yeah. And they scheduled that for Monday, the following Monday. And um, they said, you know, uh, the the surgeon who came in and talked to me about it said everything should be fine. We expect you to have a full recovery, no problem. So I went into surgery that following Monday. And I mean, I didn't know it, but as they were giving me anesthesia and I was drifting off, I had some kind of a reaction to the anesthesia. Mm -hmm. And my heart rate went to zero. My blood pressure went to zero. Everything stopped for about a minute, maybe a little bit longer. I didn't know that because what happened for me was as I drifted off, all of a sudden I found myself standing up, which was a very unusual. I shouldn't be standing up. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I found myself standing on a hillside in this beautiful, beautiful scene, <clears throat> excuse me, that looked like to me, just the visuals of it were, you know, distant mountains and mist and a beautiful, like, silvery blue sky, um, trees around me that were so you know, kind of off to my right and left. So I could see down below in front of me, but off to my right and left were trees. Mm-hmm. And those trees were just glowing with a really bizarre, like, vibrating energy in inside of them almost like going up and down the trunks and kind of out to the leaves Uh Um, and that was kind of cool and then I realized something else was really different and all of a sudden it hit me that I was feeling love Mm. that I not from me but from outside coming into me Mm -hmm. and I felt like I was it like I was being cradled in a beautiful, loving embrace mm-hmm. of something way bigger than myself. Um, and I felt peace coming into me. Mm-hmm. It, it's weird because it wasn't coming from me. It was coming into me from outside. Yep. And like a joy, almost a uh, like a welcoming joy, like welcome home type of thing. And I, I, I started crying. Like I've never felt this amount of love before. What is, what is this? And then I just, there was a moment where I thought, well, wow, I wonder if I died on the, I knew I had been in the operating room. I knew it. I mean, I still had that consciousness that I had been physically in trouble and in surgery. And the thought I had was, well, I wonder if I died because this isn't normal for surgery. You know, I'd been in surgery before uh, for other things and, and it do, you don't, you don't wake up and have, you know, this beautiful landscape around you in right. surgery. Right. 
And so the thought that I thought had was, well, I, geez, I must have died on the operating table. And then the, the next thought I had was, well, if I died, then why am I here? Because I don't believe in this. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and and, I, and even more importantly, I don't believe in any kind of a divine being. Uh, and there was an, which this next thing shocked the heck out of me. If, if the, if the NDE would have stopped at this point, it would have been enough. There was an answer, (laughs) right? There was an answer from all around me. And the answer was, this is your home. Mm. You're a, you're a part of me. You're, you're my child. Welcome home. Mm. And I, it was an amazing knowing from inside of me that that was truth. There, there was no, there's no, there was no way for me to refute it. I knew immediately that I was home. Yeah. And that whatever this existence is that we're in here as physical, what we call physical reality mm-hmm. was just a temporary thing. It was a, I call it a simulation or some people call it a dream state. Yep. Um, but for us at the soul level, it's not real it's not our ultimate reality and I knew that immediately and I started weeping because I was home after so long you know I I missed it yeah and I missed that connection to that whatever that divine presence is or that universal consciousness yeah and I think you know I know this is where then of course uh there was a there's an entity that came to meet you but before we get into that part I am curious because you spent a little bit in the first part of the book talking about your terminology. I think it's really interesting. For example, um, I interviewed Eben Alexander. I've interviewed him a couple times. And um, I was so fascinated because when he originally wrote the book um, and released it, uh, he came back a year or two later and wrote an afterword after he had, um, I guess, evolved a little bit more or expanded a little bit more spiritually or his faith had changed a bit. Um, after he sat with the the lessons from his NDE. And one of the things he told me, and this is also in the afterward, um, we talked about this, that he couldn't call, even though he had been raised in a Christian paradigm, he could not call this supreme being, this beautiful, the one, the, the one that welcomed you home, couldn't mm-hmm. call it God anymore. God was not a term big enough. And so he called this entity Om because it felt more mm-hmm. like a vibration or a sound to him and that there was a lot of blowback because a lot of Christians had really liked his story um, and didn't like that he wouldn't call it a male God. And <laughs> and I think you did a really good job at the beginning of the book of talking. You were very specific about the terminology that you chose for the guide that met you, for the entity that welcomed you, this, this creator presence, for the word heaven even. Do you mind speaking a little bit about the terminology as we're getting into our conversation? Or actually, you know what? Well, we, we'll take a break after this, after you talk okay. about it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, terminology can, can really trip us up because I, I, in essence, I agree with Eben in that the, the term that we humans have called God isn't big enough for what I experienced as well. It, we have so much history built up around that one word. Mm -hmm. And, and the way that we use that word is limited. It's limiting. Mm -hmm. We limit God to our own 
you know, our own belief system. Whereas this entity, this, I, I do, I do use the word God. I also use the word spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I like my, my thing these days is I interchange with, uh, God and divine presence, uh, mm-hmm. spirit mm-hmm. and universal consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those things are just terms though. They, it, it's, they're all just, um, convenient ways that we can express what we're trying to express, but it ultimately even OM doesn't, doesn't work, you know, when it comes to this level of consciousness and love and peace and acceptance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I like to change it up because we're all, all of us across the planet, whenever we talk about this supreme love, this connected love, this connected consciousness, it's my belief. Now this may not work for a lot of people, but it's my belief that effectively we're all talking about the same thing. Yep. And that's why I, I switch up names quite a bit as much as I can, but still to me, the word God is limiting, but I do use it occasionally. My, my preference now is like divine presence because I think that gets to a little bit more of what I experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is, it is tough because we each have our own idea in our own little human brains about what this supreme consciousness or entity or love is, but even as humans, we can't know. No. And and even just the little touch that I had, I still don't know. Um, I had a, a touch of it. I had a brief brush with it. And even with that, I know that this being God or spirit or divine love, whatever you call it, is much bigger, much more loving, much more accepting, much more welcoming than we give it credit for. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I would agree with that. Um, and that's actually a good place. Why don't we take our, our break here? Um, you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I'm joined today by near-death experience uh, survivor Nancy Rhines. She's got a fabulous book called Awakenings from the Light, 12 Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. And um, we've heard part of the story now. So we're going to continue when we come back from the break to hear the rest of the story, uh, the guide that she met. And then we'll get into some of the lessons that she learned on the other side. We will be back in just a few. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, 
give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org slash American Airlines to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Couples who want to have a baby often consider their health and the timing of menstrual cycles, but they may want to think about the weather, too. In the context of climate change, more hot weather is going to hinder people's ability to have the family size that's right for them. That's Alan Bereka of UCLA's Institute for the Environment and Sustainability. He found for every day with an average temperature over 80 degrees Fahrenheit, more than 1,000 fewer babies are born in the U.S. Once it cools off, birth rates rebound, but not enough to make up for the reduction in birth rates associated with heat waves. Bereka says the problem is caused by hot weather before the time of conception. Animal studies show that sperm production falls in the weeks after a hot spell, so he speculates that high temperatures are affecting male fertility. What is happening is the hot weather is derailing people physiologically, and two weeks later when they go and actually try and conceive, they're unsuccessful. Air conditioning uses energy, which ultimately leads to more global warming. But the research indicates that turning on the AC may help increase the chances of welcoming a new baby to the family. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 a.m. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Notice anything different? You should. There's no other station like Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. Uh, I'm your host, joined today by Nancy Rhines, who had a near-death experience several years ago that absolutely changed her life. Um, and we've been hearing about that story. If you want to get the book, which I highly recommend, it's called Awakenings from the Light, 12 Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. Um, and it is available on Amazon. Um so, Nancy, we were talking before the break um, about you were pretty deliberate in the terminology that you chose um, to be uh, to however human words can actually describe right. a little what you experienced. And then also to not exclude anyone from, you know, I know their God has been co-opted so many times by humans that I, I like that you um, you really did a good job of explaining where you were coming from and the terminology you chose um, one other thing that I wanted to touch on bef- related to terminology before we get back into your story, and I think this is so important. Um, so just as a little preface, um, Anita Morjani is one of my favorite near-death experience uh, s- stories. And she talks, her second book is called 
um, what if this is heaven? And I immediately thought of her um, when I was reading your book because the way that you described heaven, um, do you mind if I read a quote from the book that stood out to me? Go ahead. Okay. So this is about, because Nancy does use the term heaven in a couple of places in the book or throughout the book in places. Um, And so here's what she had to say about choosing to use the word heaven. I don't use it in the traditional Christian sense, though, meaning it's not someplace on a cloud that we go when we die. For the purposes of my story, heaven simply refers to that very mysterious state of being or realm that I found myself in. It might indeed be a place, although the sense that I got while there is that heaven is more truly a shift in state or energy from our physical plane. And that is exactly what Anita Morjani was saying, that it's, mm-hmm. and so it's accessible to us right now, although there is a lot of other stuff piled on, <laughs> kind of hard <laughs> to get through. So I just was curious if you could speak to that a little bit before we get back into the story. Yeah, actually, I, I totally um, gr- agree with her on that aspect. In fact, what I go on to say in the book is that we are a part of heaven right now. And some of my, the talks that I've given more recently in the last year or so, I go into that quite a bit. We are a part of heaven right now. Mm -hmm. There is no place that heaven is not this love, this divine state. We're all a part of it right here, right now. Um, The difference is that that shift in energy state that I talked about in the book, it's, here where we are, the the energy is a little bit more dense or, you know, uh, congealed or slower, however you want to describe it. Mm-hmm. But we're in a in a less less energetic state here, spiritually speaking. Right. But we're still a part of whatever that bigger realm of the divine is, and. I use the term heaven just because it's convenient. Um, It's hard to keep saying realm of the divine all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, But it's the spiritual state. It's we're all a part of it right now. There is no separation. There is no place where divine love is not. Yeah. There is no place where heaven is not. That's what they kept telling me during my experience. And and I, I get that now. Um, there is no really no separation except the ones that we make up in our minds. Exactly. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, before we continue, because now I want to ask you a follow-up question about that. But <laughs> so when you have somebody in the audience who says, um, have you seen what's happening over in Syria? Uh, what about uh, all of the genocide? And Or you can look in our own country and find some issues. Um, So when you say there's nowhere that the divine presence is not, there's no heaven is here with us everywhere now. How do you respond to that? We have to choose to live in that way. Yeah. You know, it's our choice. We can at any moment and even even once we cross over and leave this physical life, we have choices that we can make, but especially here, the whole reason we're here is to is to learn how to exercise our choices. Yeah. And at least that's one of the main reasons why a lot of people come here. I'm not going to say that's the reason for everybody, but we're here and we're allowed to exercise our choices and we can choose to turn our backs on that divine love if we want to, like I did for so long. Yeah. Um, and we can choose to align ourselves with that right now as a, as a planet, we're it, it, it's kind of touch and go right now. I get it. We're, 
as a global society, we seem to be going in the direction of turning our backs on it, which is disturbing for a lot of us. Um, but it is a choice as a, as a global society, we can eventually, and I believe we will eventually choose to align ourselves with that, mm -hmm. but it's going to take work. It's going to take conscious choice on the part of a lot of people to make that happen. Absolutely. And I, I do. I'm one of the believers we have reached critical mass on the light on the planet. And, and mm -hmm. we are just seeing the last gasping, dying breath of darkness before yeah. it goes. So it looks a lot worse than it actually, I think it's the best <laughs> that it could be right now in terms of where we are going and the uh, now our ability to uh, clean out all the gangrene and then, then move forward. Um, but exactly. anyway, that's my personal belief system. But yeah. um, okay, so let's get back to your story. So you, the, where we last left off um, was here, you've gone into surgery immediately, your blood pressure drops, you are um, uh, in this uh, heavenly realm. Um, and you are looking at all the beauty and then something else exciting happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, and then what to me looked like a woman walked up or she actually didn't walk. She sort of floated. Mm -hmm. Um, she wasn't floating very high off the ground, but she was definitely not walking like we do. Mm -hmm. She was kind of gliding over the ground and came up to me and embraced me with this beautiful, beautiful hug of just pure love mm -hmm. and acceptance. And it was as if we were, had been friends for a very long time and were just reunited. I didn't know her from this life. Um, she wasn't someone that I had met here and who had passed away or, you know, a friend or family member. Um, but I got the sense that I had known her, spiritually speaking, for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and she told me that she was going to be my guide. She didn't tell me her name, but she told me that she was going to be my guide to this place that I found myself in and would teach me what I needed to learn in order to come back to my life and make it a life that would be worth living for me. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to get back on track basically for what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and I, the, the, about her physically, a lot of people ask what she looked like. I, I, I have a hard time answering that. I mean, she looked to me like she was glowing, uh, like a silvery glow. She appeared to be wearing like drapey, silvery clothing, almost like a long gown or something or a loose top and skirt, something like that. Um, but I was never able to get a glimpse of her face. She, it was always blurry. Like mm -hmm. I, I wasn't really allowed to see her facial features. Mm -hmm. uh, but she said that that wasn't really important. It was just what she said is that this, what you see before you as her is just a cloak that I'm wearing right now to make it easier for you to connect with me. Yeah, that's, but it, oh, I'm sorry, go that ahead. Was, no, that that wasn't her true self. That was just a, a kind of a costume that she was wearing. Yes, and that's another thing that has stood out to me among a lot of near-death experiences, um, and not just the folks that I've interviewed, but the research on them, is that um, that whoever has crossed over, like for you, for example, what appears around you aligns with basically what you believed going into the experience. So some people may see a religious figure. Some people may see more of a nondescript guide. Some people may say a, be a beautiful landscape. You were in this beautiful mountain uh, area, whereas someone else might be 
on a beach. And I think it's it the the takeaway that I get is that that we will be welcomed in whatever way we are going to feel the most comfortable so that we feel back at home. If, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Was that your experience? Yeah, and and she explained it later to me even even in more depth that that when when someone first crosses over, it can be very startling and scary. Um, and it's a big, big, big shift. And so it, it's sort of like uh, they they meaning whoever our spiritual team or our spiritual guides are, um, want to give us a place or a state where we can just decompress for a while. It's sort of like, um, you know, when, when deep sea divers have to, to decompress in a, one of those chambers mm-hmm. before they're allowed to come back out into the, into our atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So they come up and, you know, they have to decompress at specific stops on the way up from being deep in the ocean. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like what this is. We're given a, a time, a set amount of time to decompress and get used to being in the spiritual state. It's also a time for us to let go of our attachment to the physical. That's very, she made, made that very clear that our, those initial, what that initial time, whatever that time is for each person, mm-hmm. after we die, we're given an amount of time in order to, to unattach ourselves from the physical, mm-hmm. because it's very important to let go of that attachment. Yes. And for some people, it can take longer than others, but we're, we're given the tools that we need in order to release that attachment and then, you know, be welcomed back home yes. without being freaked out. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and she also said, this was another thing that stood out to me, um, that, you know, she explained to you that, that you guys had made an agreement before birth that, yeah. Um, and that that's not uncommon that souls often agree to different kind of tasks before they're born into life. And I, that I love this idea that each one of us, I mean, you've got a, this task that you have is amazing to be able to share your story, but that each of us has one, whether it's Nelson Mandela style, that's pretty right. big and global, or it might just be something that is impactful in your family of origin. I mean, who knows that just, I love that idea. Well, yeah, it could be m- many things too. So, but yeah, she, I, I kind of threw a little bit of a temper tantrum. I didn't want to come back here uh, after having experienced home again. And she said, well, you've agreed, you've already agreed to go back. And I, I said, oh, I don't remember agreeing to do that. <laughs> and so then she showed me, you know, this scene of me uh, in, in my spiritual form with all of my spiritual friends or my spiritual team uh-huh. um, agreeing to accomplish certain things or to experience certain things or do certain things while I was here in this life. Um, and one of them was to have this experience of, of a being an atheist, but then B having this reawakening and coming back and telling people about it. So uh, once, once she showed that to me, I I thought, well, okay, I guess I did agree to that. (laughs) I remember now. (laughs) Hard to refute it when you see it right there in front of you, like a big video. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so this was your agreement was to bring back these, the the messages. And this is the book is, um, contains, 
these 12 messages, or the book is Awakenings from the Light, 12 Life Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. So in some of our remaining time, like I've had so much fun talking to you about the story, but I know we need to talk about some of the messages because they're so right. good. Um, I'm, You know, Nancy, I've highlighted several things around the messages that I'd love to know, but I'm just curious, you know, from where you sit now, what messages do you think are vitally important for us to know here today? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, it, it depends on the day for me personally, oh. but I think right now for a lot of people, it's kindness and compassion as a part of love, mm -hmm. but also not just for other people, but for yourself as well. You know, so many people right now are feeling um, so many different things. You know, they're they're frustrated. They're, they may be angry at what's going on in the world. They may feel um, at a loss as to what to do. And they may feel like it's up to them to, and what I see a lot in a lot of people is they feel like it's up to them to change the world. It is not up to you, each one of you out there mm -hmm. to go and like change the entire world by yourself. Be kind to yourself. Understand that you can do whatever it is that you can do. If you mess up in your life, it's okay. It's okay. Be kind to yourself. Love yourself just as much as you love your pet, your kids, your family, um, it's very important to extend love to others, but it's especially important to extend love to yourself as well. Yeah. And the thing, you know, just in an overview of the messages or kind of the umbrella, my understanding is that, that these messages, it's not like they're, they're completely new and different concepts. Like these are some of the concepts that stick with us when we're not in human form. These are with us when we're in the heavenly realm. Um, but we tend to, when we come in as humans, forget them or be disconnected from them. Yeah. It's so easy, you know, when we, it, to, when we're, when we're in this very dense physical realm to, to really lose sight of those bigger spiritual concepts. But, and some of us come here specifically, you know, to understand what that separation is like and to, to fully be, be ensconced in the physical and, not worry about the spiritual stuff, but, mm -hmm. but it oftentimes will make us happier and feel more joyful when we can reconnect with that. But it's so easy to get wrapped up in, in, you know, everyday dramas in you know, intrigue at work or mm -hmm. things going on in our lives at home. Um, we can often very easily lose sight of the bigger picture. Yeah. And, and I know that I had for a very long time, I had lost sight of that. Um, for me, regaining that connection to that bigger picture over the last five years has deepened my life. It's broadened my life. It's, it's increased my ability to love. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievably increased my ability to be peaceful and compassionate in the moment mm -hmm. uh, and conscious in the moment and, and aware in the moment. Um, so it can really, it, it, you know, reestablishing that connection, however you want to do it, you know, with your, with your deeper spirituality can really enhance this life and make it more fun and enjoyable. Absolutely. And that reminds me of one of the messages that I think is so important that I am really just beginning to, I, I, who knows how much my human brain can actually comprehend, but I am on a rational level <laughs> comprehending it more than I did several years ago. And the, the, the message that each one of us is more powerful than we imagine 
Um, yeah. Yeah, because I think, you know, I was raised in a, um, a pretty conservative uh, Christian community, family. And one of the things that I never took away was that I was a powerful spiritual being. I took away that I was a meek human who better act right, you know, and, and mm-hmm. if you're not pleasing, keeping with the scriptures and everything, then you're kind of doomed. Um, and so I never thought of myself as powerful. In fact, to say that I was a powerful spiritual being would be uh, really audacious or perhaps even heretical. Um, and so it, I just loved, there's a, I haven't, I've only now started returning to scripture because it was, I just, it was not a happy place for me to go for many years. But that one verse, John fourteen twelve, these things and more you shall do. Yes. Like, ah, like, I'm like, that's why Jesus was here. He was showing us what we're capable of. Not yeah. Yeah. So- and actually he said that many times. Yeah. Many times. It's all through the New Testament. It's fact, it's in some of the other books that weren't included in the New Testament as well. The Nash Hammadi documents or yeah. Nag Hammadi. Yeah. I never know which way to say it. But anyway, yeah, for those out there listening, these were um, uh, these were books that were not included in the um, traditional New Testament. They were excluded, I think, for very specific reasons, politically and religiously at the time, because they were a little more heady and... Um, not quite as straightforward and easy to present and get people to kind of follow along. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there was, the, you know, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the secret Gospel of Thomas. And unfortunately, many of them were destroyed when they were discovered in 1946. Oh, you would know way more about this yeah. than me because yeah. you're like a scientist. Oh, do you mind speaking to it a little bit? Yeah, those those documents, because uh, I, I do have... I, I used to do archaeology and in the yeah. Middle East, too. So this is like a, a cool subject I love to talk about because it's a big... It, it can we can go on for the, about this for days, right. but those those documents were written just shortly after Jesus's death, up to maybe 150 200 A.D., mm-hmm. and they were written in um, all different areas of the Middle East. And in fact, they were uh, written in little tiny some of the first books, not scrolls, but they are actually written in book format, and they were written by different groups of Christians. So they weren't you know, they weren't written by, uh, you know, other religious groups. They were actually written by Christians. And there were many, many, many different groups of Christians at that time. Mm -hmm. These particular groups called themselves Gnostic Christians, meaning Gnosis, meaning knowledge. Mm -hmm. And And some of the books were very similar to what was included in the New Testament as the canon. Uh, And some of them were again, kind of breaking new ground, especially for that time. But, you know, they were written by some of the followers uh, of Jesus. Uh, One of them likely written by, or very heavily influenced by Mary Magdalene, one perhaps written by Thomas, the doubter Thomas, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thomas the doubter. However, my mom used to call me the doubting Thomas. So (laughs) I'm very well, I, I kind of uh, jive with him. Um, but, but these books have amazing information in them, especially if you understand the history of that time where Roman occupation in the Middle East was really taking off and things were getting really tight and controlled. And, those documents were hidden. Uh, they were, they're actually probably more uh, hidden across the desert, but this particular group that we found that was found in Egypt was hidden close to a monastery, a Christian monastery 
I think it was hidden in a big, one of those big, huge jars in yeah. the, in the dirt, uh, during a time of persecution. And so the monks probably thought, well, shoot, we don't want to lose our precious books because back then books were extremely precious. They were all handmade and handwritten. Yeah. So they were, they were hidden in this big jar out in the desert. I'm sure, sure the monks thought they would just go back there and pull them out at some point, but yeah. they didn't. Right. And in, in the forties, um, I believe it was a uh, shepherd, if I remember right. Yes, that's what I um, remember. Yeah, he was he was digging in the dirt looking for fertilizer, if I remember, <laughs> and found this big jar and took out these documents. And these documents later turned out to be what we now call the Nashamadi Library, um, cr- early Christian documents that were amazingly insightful. Especially for me right now, I'm going through the Gospel of Thomas, which... Yes. Uh, is an amazing book, very, very closely aligned with the Christian gospel um, of, well, actually all of them, Matthew and Luke especially, but they're amazing documents to read. Uh, You don't necessarily need to believe them in all our aspects, but it might give you a deeper insight into early Christianity. Yes, and I love, um, I'm trying to get Elaine Pagels on the show. She's written a lot about the Gnostic gospels and yeah. Um, I love um, I love what I've learned about early Christianity and, and politics and how it all played together to to create what we now have as traditional Christianity. So in any event, yeah. okay, so we've got like two minutes left, and I didn't I even know. get to ask you. About anything. <laughs> okay, so well, for those out there listening, I'm talking to Nancy Rines. Um, she had a near death experience several years ago, and she writes about it in her amazing book. Um, Awakenings from the Light, 12 Lessons from a Near-Death Experience. You know, Nancy, maybe as our final wrap-up, um, we only got to about two of the messages here, um, but what, what do you want to share something from one that you think is particular? We've got like a minute left. Um, one of the other messages you want to share or, or a message <laughs> not in the 12 that you want to share today to wrap us up. Yeah, you know, I actually just want to share something else that kind of came to me a little bit after after that. It's it's really heaven's tips for leading a happy life. Oh. It's kind of those twelve those twelve lessons put into just a few words. So it, it's be kind, hug more, <laughs> you know, be affectionate, feel grateful for what you have. Yeah, look for beauty in the world around you, and have fun. Remain humble and heed the wisdom of your heart. Be open to wonder and curiosity and always, always love as best you can, including yourself. Oh, I love that. And um, I really encourage you guys to get Nancy's book. Her story is really compelling, but the messages that she came back with um, are absolutely transformative when applied to your life. Um, so, Nancy, thank you so, so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed our time together. Me too. I was thinking, I oh got. I want to have you back on to talk more about the religious history stuff. I just can't get enough. That'd be of that. cool. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and the book, one more time, is Awakenings from the Light: Twelve Life Lessons from a Near Death Experience. And um, actually, Nancy also has a website where you can go see clips of her appearing on Megyn Kelly today and some other uh, media appearances. And the website is Awakenings from the light.com. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, and this is your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. Have a great weekend, everyone.